So thanks to everybody that's able to tune in live. Those of you that are on there live watching and those of you that are here in the place. I'm kind of excited and little it's going to be a little different message today because I've really had something else on my heart that I've been working on and and God kept dropping this one story in my heart all week it it keeps coming up and I keep working on this other message about your passion and about toxicity and about a a detox about all the toxic things in our life. And that's what I've been kind of working on and building on. And, and we've been talking about it in the men's Bible study, which is every other Tuesday night here at the church. If you're a man and you, you want to get involved in that, Zach's leading us in a really good Bible study. But that's got my wheels turning on some things. And I thought that's what I was going to preach about this week. But I just keep going back to the story. And I feel God saying something to me about this story all week. So maybe we're going to talk about the toxic stuff next week. Because I feel like somebody needs to hear something God's got to say about this story. So, today, if you're turning with me in your Bibles, um, we're going to read this story out of Acts 20. That's where we're going to go first. Acts 20, verse 7. And today, I just want to spend a few minutes and talk to you about this guy. And his name is Eutychus. And if any of y'all are pregnant looking for a good name it's a cool name Eutychus I don't have any nieces or nephews I guess that could go either way Eutychus no maybe not okay it's a good name the meaning of this name before we read the story about old Eutychus here's the meaning of his name it means the son of fortune fortunate lucky or good fortune pretty good meaning Eutychus He's the lucky guy. He's Tristan. <laughs> Tristan, they, they blamed it on beginner's luck. Tristan played softball with the church softball team yesterday for the first time and had a pretty good game. They were blaming it on beginner's luck, but then we had a raffle with $5 raffle tickets on a $300 bat, and uh, Tristan won the bat as well. So Tristan here fortunate of good fortune but really you know I've read this story before and it's kind of a weird story it's one of those ones you just kind of read in the Bible and I don't think I've ever preached on the story because I've read it and it's kind of weird and you just go over it and be like ah, that was weird I guess I was telling people not to fall asleep in church or uh, maybe it's warning preachers like not to preach too long I don't know Weird story. But this story won't leave me alone this week. And God's been speaking some stuff to me. It just kept coming up in my spirit. You know, like if I gave you a gift of a joke, that's how I, how I see it. When I tell you guys a joke and you get to laugh, that's like me giving you a gift. If I gave you the gift of a joke and you don't get it, you know, yeah, that happens sometimes too. If you don't get the joke that I give you, then it's like you don't get the gift. Like this. Okay, I'll give you an example. I bought my friend an elephant for his room. He said, thanks. I said, don't mention it. 
if you don't get it right away, then don't throw it in the trash. Don't just push it out of your mind. Put it in your pocket. Save it for later. Put it in your pocket in your mind. You know, because then when you're reaching in there, bumping around for change, you'll pull it out and you'll be like, oh, there's that joke that Dusty told that didn't make sense. If you put it in your pocket, then you'll, you'll be like, oh, wait, give my friend an elephant. Don't mention it. Oh, the elephant in the room. <laughs> and then you get a gift later. It's like when you reach in your pocket for your change and you find that loose Skittle that was left in there. It's a reward. Oh, wait a minute. With the change shortage, maybe the change would be the reward. I don't know. Never mind. Okay. Put it in your pocket. Oh, I forgot that was there. Then it's a nice surprise. So this story kind of did that to me. Like I've known the story and I had it in a pocket somewhere in my mind. And then it really spoke to me this week as I, as I reread it. You need to know that when God speaks, it may not be for that moment. You know, like sometimes God will give you a word or he'll give you some wisdom or he'll speak to you through a devotion or a Bible study or through a preacher or, or through a friend. There's all different ways that God can speak to us. But a lot of times the wisdom or the word that God's giving you is not for that moment that you're in right there. And I think that's where a lot of us go wrong is, is God's constantly speaking to us and giving us these words and these things that we're going to need for something coming up. And we just brush it off or don't remember it. or we just, Well, that doesn't apply to me right now. That doesn't apply to where I'm at in life. So we don't remember it. We don't keep it. We don't stick it in our pocket. We just brush it off. Well, then in a few days when it does apply to our situation, it would be a gift if we would have held on to that little bit of knowledge. If we would have held on to that word that God was trying to speak to us, put it in your pocket. If you're hanging off of a cliff and somebody gives you a lesson on how to get off of a cliff alive, I bet you're going to be paying attention. Right? You're going to be listening. In fact, you're going to be hanging on every word. See what I did there? Okay, this is, hmm. let that joke go to the joke graveyard. <laughs> Stick it in my pocket. It may work later. If a cop pulls over a U-Haul, did he bust a move? <laughs> no, you're going to hang on every word. Why? Because you're hanging off of a cliff. It's life or death. You're in the middle of the situation. So you want to know, yes, please give me a word on how to get out. And sometimes in life, let's face it, we come in here to church or we come to God and we're hanging off of a cliff. We're desperate for God to speak to our situation now. Because in that moment, you're desperate. But what if two months earlier you heard a lesson on how to get off of a cliff alive and you were thinking, I don't really need that. So you just napped through the lesson. You didn't take notes. You didn't really pay attention. Uh, you used the time to catch up on emails. 
pass notes to your friend because I'm not hanging off a cliff. I don't need that. Well, two months later, when you're hanging off a cliff, you really wish you would have paid attention. It's the same way when God's speaking words to us. So if you're sitting here in church and it doesn't speak to your heart and your mind and we read scripture and and you're like, well, that doesn't really apply to me. Don't just go somewhere else in your mind and start thinking about what you're going to eat for lunch. It might be a lesson that you need for tomorrow or next week. God's word is alive. It's living. To say, I don't need that, oh, that's not for me, and to check out is immaturity. Children don't think of the future. Right? If you ask Sky, what does he need to be happy and healthy today? He's, as long as he's got some electronics and some candy. He doesn't think about what he really needs. That's immaturity. I think about David when he was going to fight Goliath, the giant. And he bowed himself down in the posture of worship there in the riverbed. And he what? He picked up stones. He picked up weapons. He picked up what he would need to win the fight that he wasn't in yet. He prepared himself to win a fight that hadn't come yet. Before he ran down the hill. He didn't wait. What he picked up those stones and he put them in his pouch. Put them in the pouch. Five stones. He didn't need them in that moment. But he needed them coming up. All right, let's read this story. Acts 20. I'm going to start in verse 7. Luke wrote this as he followed Paul around and and they did ministry and, and Paul did some great things. And they go to this town. I'm going to start reading in verse 7. We met on Sunday to worship and celebrate the Master's Supper or the Lord's Supper. And keep in mind, Sunday, this would have been the first day of their work week. Because then the the Sabbath would have been Saturday. And so Sunday was the first day of their work week. So for us, it would be kind of like Monday. So the people that gathered here in this upper room for the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Supper would have been a meal where they would eat a meal together. So they were all going to eat dinner together and take communion. Remember Jesus and the sacrifice that was made and have like a pretty much a Monday night church service. So they're coming after they got off work. They're probably tired. They're probably hungry, but they know they're going to get to break bread and eat a big meal together and hear Paul, the great apostle Paul. Well, I guess they didn't know he was the great apostle Paul back then or that he would write so much of the New Testament, but that's what was going on. So we met on Sunday, Luke says, to worship and celebrate the Master's Supper. Paul addressed the congregation. Our plan was to leave first thing in the morning. But Paul talked on. Can you hear the sarcasm in Luke's voice? Paul talked on way past midnight. We were meeting in a well-lighted upper room. And a young man named Eutychus was sitting in an open window. Maybe not the smartest decision. But he was a young man. Most of the scholars tell us that he was probably around the age of 17. He was there at the church service, 
probably after a long day of work in the field or whatever he did, and he sat in an open window. But Luke lets us know that it was a well-lit room. It wasn't like it was dim or something. They had efficient lighting. And as Paul went on and on, Luke feels the need to tell us again how long Paul was preaching that he just wouldn't stop. On and on. Eutychus fell asleep. And he toppled out the third story window. And when they picked him up, he was dead. Dang. Paul, I mean, I've had people tell me after I preached a sermon, you killed it today. But Paul, I've never actually literally killed somebody. Oh, Paul did. This 17-year-old boy is sitting in an open window, and he got so bored with the message that Paul was preaching, and he didn't have anybody around him to say, hey, wake up. Hey, listen to this. Hey, this is good. Hey, you're distracted. Get his, nothing. We don't have any record of anything like that. He just dozed off. Because, you know, you don't just fall asleep and flip out a window. I know there was the head bob going on for a while. I know there was the, you know, how you shake your head, try to stay awake. Then you hold his eyes open a little bit, look around. I'm trying to say it probably didn't just happen in a minute. This poor dude fell three stories down and they grabbed him to check on him. They picked him up and he was dead. And this wasn't, uh, you know, people try to explain away some miracles in the Bible and stuff. Well, this wasn't a, maybe he was dead. This wasn't a, he seemed dead. Or maybe he was in a coma and then maybe Paul can snap him out of it. No, he was dead. How do I know? Because Dr. Luke is the one that recorded this. Remember, that's what Luke was before he was called to follow Jesus. He's a doctor. And so Luke lets us know very clearly, yep, he was dead. He was gone. We checked him out. He's gone. He's dead. And Paul went down. Imagine Paul going down the stairs. Paul wasn't the first one to him. Other people got to him first and picked him up and he was dead. Paul goes down three stories in the dark. Down the stairs. And stretched himself on him. Paul threw himself on top of the dead body. This is getting weird. You see why I've just breezed over this story before? Paul throws himself on him and he hugged him hard. Oh, please, please wake up. I charged me with the murder here. I bored him to death. He hugged him hard. No more crying, he said. Who was he talking to? Not Eutychus, because Eutychus was dead. He's talking to all the other people around. They're all just crying. Oh, God. And Paul jumped on the thing that was dead. And he hugged it hard and he looked around and he said, no more crying. Hey, stop crying. Stop. There is life in him yet. I think some of you got some things in your life that seem dead. 
There's some areas that look like there's no life left in them. There's some, some dreams and some vision. There's some words that God's placed on the inside of you, and right now they look dead. For some of you, your five-year plan is to make it through this year or today. Some things look dead. And the Holy Spirit says, there is life in you. Paul said, hey, stop crying. There is life in him. There's life. See, when you talk about a demonstration, you walk around talking about what God can do. Paul was in there preaching on and on and on. Paul's preaching about a demonstration about the Holy Spirit. Paul, he, he says, we're going to look at it in a minute. Paul says, the only thing I know is Jesus. I'm preaching about Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. So we know what Paul was preaching. And when you preach about a demonstration, you may be required to give an illustration. That's kind of scary. Because it's easy to talk it, but I have found that when you start talking it, then you're expected to walk it. If you want to preach about a demonstration, then you better be ready to give an illustration. A little action. Imagine Paul's up there preaching about the power of the Holy Spirit, and then he said, oh, 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 no. Now we got to give an illustration on the power of the Holy Spirit. If you want to talk about revival, then you better be willing to throw your life at it. That's what Paul did. He threw his life at that dead thing. He wasn't holding back. He didn't stretch his hand that way from the upper room. And Paul went down the stairs and he threw his life at that thing. That's what we got to do. You want a successful ministry? You want to successfully reach people you want to go to somebody that's lost and dying and dead in their spirit and and bring them back to life then you've got to throw your life at him said he hugged him hard he embraced him there's life in him yet then paul got up served the master's supper all right, wait. Now, we already know this was on past midnight. Paul was preaching until this dude finally fell asleep and fell down. So now, Paul gets up and serves them all supper. And look what it says he did. And he went on telling stories of the faith until dawn. He still kept on preaching until the sun came up. No more complaining about any of my sermons that go a little bit long. <laughs> this dude went all night. On that note, they left. Paul going one way, the congregation another, leading the boy off alive. And look what it says, and full of life themselves. Leading the boy off alive and full of life themselves. That's how God wants us to live, full of life. Because when life 
encounters death, something's got to give. One will bow, and death always bows to life. Three things about the prayer, about how Paul handled the situation. He prayed desperately. He says he threw himself on it. He threw himself at it. He, he prayed desperately. You got to throw your life at it. It's what Paul did. It's what Jesus did. He didn't hold back. He threw his life. So that we could be in relationship. Paul said, hey, everybody stop crying. And he started speaking truth. There is life in him. There's life in him. Desperately. Specifically. Talk about it. You've got to be in relationship with people. Not just blanket. Well, pray. Unspoken prayer request. That's good for the masses. But if you've got nobody in your life that you can talk to, that you can say, hey, I'm struggling with this, or hey, there's death in this area, or he was specific. And he laid on the one that was dead. Not everybody else, right? He went to the one that was hurting. He didn't run down and start praying for everybody else and hope that one would know. He specifically went to the area of death. And he threw his life, everything he had, all that he was, he threw himself at it specifically. Third one instantly he didn't wait or go ahead and serve dinner or let Luke check him out because Luke was the doctor and then later would no instantly why did it take him falling out of a window why wasn't there somebody around him that could wake him up or say hey hey wake up if you're going to be nodding off, at least don't sit in the window. Hey, there's life in you. Hey, you're missing what's being said here. If somebody's about to get hit by a car and you see it, you should run and knock them out of the way or you should yell at them or you should tell them, hey, something bad's about to happen to you. Immediately, right? As fast as possible. You don't wait till tomorrow. I'm going to set a reminder on my phone to tell him he's about to get hit by a car. It's too late. Immediately. See, that's the, the one day win attitude. Keeps us from doing things immediately. And it keeps us from being productive in the kingdom. 
keeps us from being all that we're called to be. Like one day when I get enough money, I'm going to tithe. And one day when I have some time, I'm going to serve. And, and one day when, I, when I'm educated enough, I will speak. And one day when I, you fill in the blank. Whatever it is that you're saying, one day when, whatever. But see, the problem is one day never comes. God asks us for what we have. God doesn't ask you to give more than you have. When Jesus did the miracle of the feeding the 5,000 men with their wives and children, he didn't ask for more than the boy had. He just asked for the five loaves and the fish. He didn't ask for more than he had. Well, it's not enough. So maybe if I grow up and I start a farm and I raise... Uh, a couple hundred acres of wheat and that wheat can be made into bread and then I start a fishing industry and I get multiple boats then I could catch enough fish and so God's called me to feed these roughly 15,000 people if you're the little boy figuring out how it could be done in your head it's probably gonna take me about 15 to 20 years but I'll come up with it and I'll be able to feed a crowd this size that's how we do when God calls us to do something and then life happens, and over the next 15, 20 years, you know, whatever happens, and we don't end up doing it because God's not calling you to do something one day, try to figure. He's calling you to have some faith and give what you have. Not calling you for a one-day win. He's asking you now. It's now. Instantly. When was the last time that you prayed? When was the last time that you went after something desperately, specifically, instantly? How did Paul have so much faith in that moment? I mean, he's been preaching. He's probably tired. He's already been preaching for hours. Like before... Eutychus died. He had already been preaching for five hours. That right there will wear you out. Now, how did he have that much faith to run down the stairs and instantly just jump on him and hug him? This isn't the first time Paul found himself needing a miracle at midnight. If we flip back a couple pages to Acts 16, in Acts 16, 23... And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison, and he made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed, and they sang praises. See, Paul and Silas came into this town doing good. They cast demons out of this girl. And then the girl's owners, she was a slave and she was making some money for them off of fortune telling. They got mad and got the crowd turned against them. And, and they grabbed Paul and Silas for doing good in the community, for trying to help, for doing what they were called to do. They grab them and they beat them and they throw them in jail. 
into the innermost part. This is like maximum security. Make sure these dudes don't get away. So here they are, beaten up for doing the right thing, persecuted for being exactly who and what God called them to be, and for helping this girl by casting the demons out of her. But because of money, see, it goes back to money a lot of times, because they were messing with these guys' money, they got beaten and thrown into prison. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed. That's what I'm telling you to do. Pray. Let that be your first response. Pray. How much would that change in your life if that was your first response to pain? That was your first response to something unexpected. That was your first response to something dead. That was your first response to fatigue. That's why Jesus says, if you're tired in Matthew 11, come to me. If you're wore out, come to me. If you're burned out on religion, come to me. Come. What if that was your first response? And they sang praises. The word praises is thanksgiving or thanks. What? Gratitude? At a time like that? When everything was going wrong and they were in maximum security in the prison and had bloody bruised up backs from getting beat and their clothes ripped off of them for, for not even doing anything wrong? Gratitude is what comes out? Hmm. That's a lot of trust. It's a lot of faith. It's a lot of maturity. Saying praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. Let me tell you today, the people in your world, they hear you. They see you. Whether you know it or not. And when everything is against you, and when the storms of life hit you, and you choose to be grateful, you choose to sing praises to God rather than spew anger or negativity or, or breakdown or, or whatever it is. Right? When you choose to praise God, people hear. It says all the prisoners they heard. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. Then God came through. Remember we saw last week when we begged God for a miracle and God usually gives us an instruction. Now, I, I didn't pray for an instruction. I was praying for a miracle. And God's like, well, obey me and we'll see what happens. After that, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. Gratitude is attractive and contagious. 1 Corinthians 2.1 This will be my last scripture. We'll wrap it up. This is what Paul wrote in his letter to the, to the church at Corinth. 
So I was trying to think about what did, what was Paul preaching that he had so much to say. And when you go look into the story that we read, Paul knew that he would never be coming back to see them. He says, like, this is the last time I'm going to see you guys, and I love y'all. And this is a church that, that he planted, this community, this body of believers. And Paul knew he would never be coming back. That's why he went on and on and on and on. Because he's like, man, this is the last time I'll get to speak to y'all. So I got all these instructions, and I got to tell y'all all these things. And I'm going to just pour it all out because I'll never see y'all again. That's why he was going on and on so long. And I was thinking about, well, what did... What would Paul have been preaching to them for that long? Like, I can go for a while. I can talk for a while. But I don't know about starting around 6 or 7 o'clock at night and going all night until the sun comes up the next day. I'm still going with only one break to raise somebody from the dead and eat a little bit of food and keep on going. That's a lot. So I'm thinking, what did Paul preach about? And I started looking and it got me thinking, like, Luke didn't give us a recording of what Paul preached about. We got different, in the Bible we see like Jesus preaching the Sermon on the Mount and we've got recordings of Stephen's message. You know, Stephen was a great speaker, preacher. We got a recording of his messages. We got some, uh, some stuff that Paul, pre- I mean, uh, not Paul, Peter things that Peter preached, some good messages. Well, guess what? We don't even have any of Paul's messages. They just say, yeah, and Paul talked right here. And then he went over here and he went over here and it never tells us like, what was his sermon about? What were his messages about? If you do a little more studying and digging, we find out Paul wasn't a good speaker. He wasn't a good preacher. There was actually some other guys around that were good speakers and preachers and and Paul wasn't as good as them. He wasn't the big flashy speaker, which a lot of scholars and theologians believe that's why he was able to write so good. That's why his best work came in the form of letters, which we now call the Bible. Well, back then, it probably was frustrating for Paul uh, he wasn't famous like because he wasn't an eloquent speaker. He wasn't, you know, there weren't giant crowds coming. He didn't have the cool worship team. He like, because now looking back, I'm glad that he was so good at writing letters. That his letters were awesome because there are instructions to the church and and this whole it really all the letters that he wrote is like the main instructions we have teaches us about Jesus and a life in Christ and, and the power of the Holy Spirit and really breaks down grace so that we can understand it and all these things that Paul wrote. But Paul wasn't a very good preacher. He, he was so boring. He, we just read it. He was killing people. They were falling out of windows. And I was thinking, what must Paul have been preaching? What was Paul talking about? Look at this. Look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. Chapter 2, verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you 
save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul says, I only know one story, and that's Jesus. I I determined not to know anything else among you. I'm not trying to teach you anything else but Jesus and him crucified. Paul wasn't a great preacher, but he knew the story of Jesus. And he knew the power of the Holy Spirit. See, Paul says, wherever I go, I'm going to preach Jesus. That's the story I know. There's power in the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit equals, the Holy Spirit means the wind of God or the breath of God, the breath of life. It's the same word that was used in Genesis where God breathed the creative breath of life into the nostrils of Adam. It's the same word that's translated Holy Spirit. Throughout the Bible, breath of God, wind of God, those can be interchanged. The life, life breath. When life comes into contact with death, death will bow every time. Some of us have experienced some death in our spirits, some death of some dreams, and some people, maybe it's a person. Maybe it's people you know, kids you know that gotten bored, fell asleep. Maybe you got an area of your life that's that's fallen asleep, nodded off for so long that now you look at it and it seems dead. It seems hopeless. It lost consciousness to the point of losing life. And today I believe this whole message in this story was to let some people know that there is life in it. There is life in you. There is life in him. There is life in her. There's life there. There is purpose. There's hope. There's meaning. Don't give up. what do I got to do? Throw yourself at it. It says he hugged him. He embraced him hard. Desperately. Specifically. Went straight to the death. There's no pushing it under the rug or hiding it. Paul went right to it. Instantly. Not wasting time. Not one day when I get better at praying, I'm going to pray for him to see revival so he can come to... No. Go now. Do it now. Speak life. Stop the crying. So I told you at the beginning what the name, what his name meant. Good fortune or lucky son of fortune God told me to tell you as I close the message that when fortune goes out the window don't lose hope some of y'all feel like fortune's gone out the window lost interest don't lose hope pray let prayer be your first response 
God, we hear you. We hear you speak into our hearts and our minds. God, give us faith to trust what you say. God, we believe you. God, forgive us for the times that we personally have, have just fallen asleep. Right, That we've been distracted, that we've not paid attention to the words that were coming out. So God, maybe some of us in the room, you know, maybe we're Eutychus today. And because of our own decisions or just because we were tired or wore out or, or because we were distracted or for whatever reason we find ourselves having fallen. We find ourselves spiritually dead. Maybe that's where some of us are today. If that's you, today I speak life. I say you're not dead. You're still breathing, so it's not over. I say there is life in you. Wake up. It's time to eat. There's more for you to do. Maybe some of us in the room are we're more like Paul. So God, today remind us to run to that death. Don't avoid it or hide from it. Don't be embarrassed by it. Oh man, my preaching was so boring. I killed it. I got to hide that. It's going to ruin my ministry. No. God, today we are reminded to run with courage. We're willing to walk out what we preach. That we would speak life over every area in our lives that is dead. That when fortune goes out the window, that we would trust you and know that you're working it together for our good. Even when we don't understand especially when we don't understand in the pain in the storm we choose gratitude we can find things to be thankful for and grateful for God we love you today we thank you for giving us a place in your family thank you for calling us your sons and your daughters thanks for sending your son to die on the cross for us God, we receive that sacrifice and we cross the line of faith. Give us strength to be the men and the women that you've called us to be. Give us strength to be the reflection of you to the world that you've placed us in. Help us to love like never before and help us to be dispensers of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.